Welcome to Brews Rock. We're Chuck Mountain, a band nestled in the beautiful beer country of North Carolina. Each week, we pick brewers' minds about their brewing philosophy and pick up tricks to bring new life to your home brew. We played at countless breweries and decided it was about time to learn how to craft our own. Hey, thanks for tuning in to our very first episode of Brews Rock. As a band, we have played breweries for years. And as a band, we realized we didn't know the first thing about making it. So we decided to start a podcast talking to the people that make it and would love for you to join us on this journey. We sat down with the assistant brewer at Odin Brewing, Chris Bruder, for our very first episode of Brews Rock. He tells us of the lineage of Greensboro's brewing scene and how North Carolina through history changed from growing hops to other cash crops. Speaking of crops, we learn how a smashed pumpkin can lead to a delicious treat and exactly how they measure the ABV. My name's Chris Bruder. I've been professional brewing for close to six years now with homebrew and everything, uh, close to 10. So, and now I am the assistant brewer at Odin Brewing in Greensboro. What made you get into brewing? couple of things. One, I had a job at a homebrew store. I got hired for the hydroponics and organic farming section and then educated myself to be able to sell the homebrew area. What was the homebrew store? Fifth Season Gardening. I ran the store for probably four or five years. Okay. And then how did you come about getting a job here brewing? One of the employees at the time, Calder Pryor, opened Pryor Brewing. Okay. And uh, after about a year of him running that place by himself, he asked if I wanted to help out, join him, and I did. And that was in the end of 2016. Yeah. How long were you there? So they closed, which is right at pandemic. March, February 2020, something like that. But yeah, they closed right, like right Right in on the wall. Mm -hmm. Not good sales, just kind of cut it off. Mm -hmm. Then I uh, was on unemployment like everyone, you know, for all all lockdown. And uh, here they, Brian, the head brewer, actually called me up and asked if I wanted to work with him because they were getting busier as... Lockdown was releasing. So I've been here since May of 21, April, May, something like that. What are your philosophies on brewing? Good ingredients in, good beer out. I mean, you can't make like a good bourbon porter with shitty bourbon. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, you okay, just yeah. Really good ingredients, simple practices, and cleanliness, number one. Um, before the hydro store, I actually was a professional pressure washer. I did kitchen hoods and grease traps for about 10 years. So I've been cleaning stainless for almost 18 years now <laughs> with the brewing and everything. So it's been... It's satisfying to pressure war, so isn't it? It is, it is, until, until, until it's, it's not. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so I did that for a long time. And the side job, because that was seasonal, it was spring and fall, because mm. I lived in New York. I was, I was raised up by Buffalo. So seasonal times, I would do cooking jobs here and there. And that was actually part of the thing that moved me here is I got hired as a head chef at HPU. I did that for about a year and hated it. Being a chef, does that even like tie in with brewing? I think so. If you remember Pryor's 
beer lineups, yeah. they were crazy. You know, we have jalapeno pineapples and, oh, yeah. you know. I'm, uh, I'm familiar with yeah, that Yeah, all, all that, the strawberry peppercorns, all those things. So all those were ingredients I really wanted to get into in brewing. And yeah. so, uh, What was that process that y'all did over at Prior? There was like some point between the kegs and the tap that you would like infuse stuff? Oh, right? uh, we'd use a randall. It's okay. a plastic housing chamber yeah. that you'd fill with whatever like a water you wanted. Filter. Exactly. That's mm. exactly what it is. We just fit it to work in line with the tap. With the, yeah. And then we'd fill it with whatever, you know, like the most famous one was the West Coast. We'd fill with grapefruit and oranges and lemons and limes. Okay. And then it would make it like twice as fruity. I think their biggest seller, unfortunately, was the uh, Sour Patch Kids. Yeah, that's and what we, I was thinking. Yeah, I remember. Exactly. Yeah. So we did that and then rim the glass in citric acid and jello powder <laughs> to Mimic yeah, that, that yeah, tart mimic. and then the super fruity, juicy IPA after it. Coming up with those is weird because like one of the, I had a golden nail on there and they were struggling that week to try and come up with a flavor. Yeah. And I ended up just getting a box of corn pops and filling the Randall with it. And yep. it was awesome. It tasted <laughs> just like liquid corn pops. It was crazy. Like cereal after milk. Yeah. 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 Basically. Yeah. They were very open to ideas and Calder came to the table a lot with his own kind of thoughts and processes. I'm a little more restrained here. Uh, we're more traditional of a brewery than prior was. There's nothing so, wrong with that. But um, we're getting out there. I'm yeah. pushing the envelope as hard as I can here, which cool. is fun. What kind of flavors are your favorites to use in beers? Really depends on the beer style. Um, if it's an IPA, obviously you can lay into, you know, anywhere from like dank pine and woodiness to super fruit juice, you yeah. know? So that's a very open spectrum. Going into like something like, you know, a Doppelbach, there's not really a lot you can do. You can have like nuts. Cause it, it just gets buried. Exactly. Or it will like kind of clash a little, you know, you got the super malty sweet kind of syrupy and then you end up with like a citrus finish. It's not the greatest. Yeah, that's strange. <laughs> a lot of that ends up being more in line with like barrel staves. Cause you can actually put pieces of wood in the Randall as well. And like, Oh, a barrel flavor into it. Basically, you're just wiping off the alcohol you soak that wood in into the glass. <laughs> but um, so, yeah, so it really depends on the beer of what direction you can go in. Cool. You want to tell us about this new beer you just put out? It's a Munich Dunkelweizen. So it's got wheat in it, lagered, kind of semi-sweet. I think we only use three malts in it. So it's very, very clean, normal. I think the base malt's actually Crisp Malt, which is a German company as well. Cool. So, so good. Yeah, it's very you. smooth. Thank you. Yeah, all of, uh, most of our malts come from Asheville out of Riverbend Brewing or a malting okay. company. So most of our malts are local, which is kind of nice. where do the hops usually, where do you guys get those from? Uh, Washington State. Washington State. Yakima Valley. The Yakima Chief Hops and Yakima Valley. And they're all in the same 100-mile area yeah. of like northwest Washington. Very good sun, very good soil. The yeah, winters the, come on onset so you can have... The right conditions to, to grow those. Exactly. Which is unfortunate. I wish North Carolina would lay more into that. When we were like the colonies, mm -hmm. North Carolina was the hop producer for, because we could actually grow hops better than England. And that was before they found out like cotton was a cash crop. So we gotcha. were the hop belt being in North Carolina. And, now and then it tobacco. switched to tobacco yep. and cotton. And it's just a bigger cash crop now. With breweries becoming more popular, it is becoming more, but there's no like farms like West Coast. I mean, they, they got that locked down. <laughs> cool. What would your recommendations for someone that wants to start brewing their own beer be? Like, where should they start? Either a friend or your homebrew store, because they're very accessible knowledge with experience. It's the best. You're going to learn from someone who knows what they're doing. You're going to yeah. learn faster. I ended up learning most of my stuff from a couple people, Calder being one of them, who actually went to uh, Siebel 
which is a brewing college in Chicago. They have a sister college in Munich as well. So I got to dig through all their notes and do that. But one of the professors there, John Palmer, has a book called How to Brew. And I think he's on his 10th or 11th edition, something like that. He basically just updates photos and recipes for the new editions. But all his old editions are online for free at howtobrew.com. That was a lot of where I learned. Yeah, reading and- Just reading, he's got decent pictures. Good recipes, you know, that's the first several recipes I made were out of that book, just trying. And I started on one gallon batches and then went up to five, figured out making five is almost the same amount of time as it is to make one. So then I started making 10. No, oh, so yeah, so, so I was it's doing like 10 gallon batches for a no couple No matter years. the quantity, it's just still about the same amount of time. About other than like getting 300 gallons or one gallon from normal like 170 to boiling. Yeah. You know, the time it takes to ramp up or the time it takes to run off where you're removing 300 or one gallon. Obviously, yeah. the smaller go faster, but the cook times, it's still an hour boil or a two hour, depending on the beer style. It's all about the same. You know, still mash steps are about the same. Pretty similar in time, which is crazy. There's a lot of little tricks you just pick up here and there from other people. And they're like a lot of the brewers at Natty's before they kind of split apart. They've been there for 20, 30 years. And the head brewer there originally, Sebastian, he now runs Epiphany Malt out of Raleigh. He's a maltster, but he was the head brewer at Anger in Germany for years. And so like Mike from Joymongers and everyone who worked underneath him, because he worked at Natty's for a while, learned a lot of these like traditional German techniques. Sebastian's a big reason why I think Greensboro has as good a beer as we do, because he taught almost everyone here how to brew in some facet. Is he still in town? Uh, He's in Raleigh. He runs Epiphany. That's his business now, which he's really cool. You could probably actually reach out to him, and he'll give tours, because he's this short little, very powerful German guy. (laughs) and uh, He's cool. I've done a tour at his facility, and it's, it's very impressive. Epiphany. I feel like they have like a Milky Way stout that is so good. Well, they don't make beer. They just do mole. Mm-hmm. Oh. No, it's Trophy I'm thinking of. Oh, Trophy. But they use Epiphany as well. Yeah. I think Little Brother uses 100% Epiphany still as well, Dang. which is not cheap, but it's good malt. It's good malt. It's good yeah. malt. He knows what he's doing. But it's cool because he has roasters on site too, so you can go and watch them spin in the grain and cook in it and watch it like darken and caramelize. And everyone there is, there's like four people who work there. So it's like really tight. I'd never seen the grain until you showed us. Okay, yeah, yeah. There's like a non-toasted one and then a toasted one. Mm-hmm. It's like, I, I just didn't know, but I want to know. That's awesome, yeah. And it makes you really think about like residual sweetness in a glass to mouth. Like, this is so sweet, but if it's not dark, you're like, how did they get that? You know, and it kind of makes you question the recipe at hand from the brewer's mind. You know, like, what are you doing? Nothing should be accidental, really, you know, in this process. (laughs) No happy accidents in beer. Yeah, sometimes there are, but like usually that's like equipment failure. I remember one time I was trying to make in homebrew world a lager. And so I brewed it Christmas Eve, knowing that it's like the coldest week of the year. And there was three 70 degree days and my lager was ruined. (laughs) But it turned out really good. The esters that that lager yeast used at higher temperatures turned out really, you know, beneficial. And I ended up changing my yeast to kind of do a a top fermenting at a lower temperature to kind of get some of those esters, but have some of the smoothness of the lagering capability. So it was cool, but I I would probably have wanted to sell it. (laughs) It was a good learning experience uh, about it. (laughs) I think that more people would enjoy knowing this knowledge. Like the brewing world, there's breweries everywhere. But the actual brewing side, it doesn't seem as accessible as just like being able to go get a beer, you know? It's like, so like yeah. learning what actually goes into the beer. I don't think a lot of people actually 
it, there's not a bunch of things out there explaining it really, but also just from a personal perspective. The industry's changed a lot in the last seven, eight years too, where like even tap hoppers, they used to do tap hopping tours and yeah. now they just can beer. They literally are a mobile canning unit only so that the whole industry of people going to your local brewery and getting a tour kind of fell off. Yeah. That used to be a huge thing. It's like weekly I was doing two to three tours at Pryor just for people in the tap room yeah. being like, can we go back there and see? And it was this big thing. And I think you're the first guys I've ever given a tour here in two years. Really? So like no Dang. one, no one asks we about just it. Thought it was just like off limits. No, no, just people just stopped asking. So we just kind of. So we never do. We always thought it was one of those. You know, we'd love to see back. Yeah. There, if we've already been drinking, can we go back there? Or like the cleanliness thing. Yeah, yeah. And most of it is probably like a curmudgeon brewer who's like, I want to get out of here as fast as possible before the general public opens. Yeah. And, you know, just get me in and out, do my beer and go. And that's just kind of a lot of the mindset. I mean, myself included. I, <laughs> yeah. I like working in the mornings and leaving, you know, and yeah. if I want to come back, I will. But like the idea of just being here all day, yeah. touring and showing people and just kind of putting yourself on display. It gets a little old sometimes, but I'm always down if someone's genuinely interested, you know? Yeah. I mean, I used to um, make the ice cream over at Yum Yum's. Oh, nice. And I, it was so the good. same way with that. Like, I would come in. I would stay late after my shift and, like, do it late night when everyone was gone or come in early in the morning and do it yeah. and, then, like, try to get the hell out of there. Yep. You know what I mean? Exactly. <laughs> it's like... I love you guys, but I don't want to be here when people are here. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So I think that's kind of that same mentality that a lot of brewers kind of have. And yeah, the lack of interest from the general public kind of like made it easier to just write that off. Yeah. <laughs> you could probably hit up Niels because he's Niels and Patrick are the two people who yeah, run. Yeah, you should hit them up. I mean, their, their facility is really cool. I mean, it's right over, I think, on like by Mir's Chapel. Like it's by the Taco Bell Super G. They're like, oh, yeah. The oh, from by that. Super G. Yeah. What's it called again? Tap Hopper Canning. Okay. I used to work at Freeman's and you would come okay. in and get uh, like dirty martinis all the time. It was just thing. <laughs> but he was telling me about like his canning business, like how he went around and did all these canning things. And I was like, that's really cool. That's yeah. Really good they idea. have multiple canning lines now. Like they're going out to Tennessee and Southern Virginia and into, I, I'm not sure if they made it to Georgia, but I know South it's Carolina. But even when he first started Tap Hopper, his very first canning line run was at Pryor with me and Calder. So got to watch him like try and figure it all out. Follow the lineage. That was like an idea when you were talking about like the people all learn from this one guy. It's like follow, follow the journey of this one dude's knowledge and then talk to him. Yeah. And yeah. I mean, Greensboro, I think, has a good beer scene. So yeah. it worked. I spent a lot of time at Pryor. That place is great. I, I missed that place. Lot, yeah. It was tight quarters, but it was very smoker's lounge kind of feel. You know, big leather oh, yeah. arm back chairs. It was really chill. <laughs> like if you were to pick out four beers. Like right now? Yeah. Uh, to kind of like broad, broad spectrum it. Um, I like the Silent Lion because that is like a beer to guard is kind of a non-traditional style anymore, especially in America. It's located... Predominantly, like its location of you know uh, origin is like the Franco-Belgian border, and so it was constantly changing between hands during the cutting out of European nation borders. Yeah. Um, and so it's actually French for beer for guarding. So it's actually supposed to be a higher gravity beer that you aged over the winter. So when you didn't have bread, you could drink your bread and not die. Oh yeah. Um, so it's a very older style, but we used actually a lager and a Belgian yeast and blended the yeast to make our own kind of proprietary-ish style. So that one's, you're not gonna find another beer to guard in town. 
The Hints is our biggest selling beer. That's our flagship, one of the first four that they started with. We've actually kind of changed the recipe over the last six months, tweaking it, probably over the course of about 10 batches to get to something that we were like, we can do better than this now. So Brian and I are both happy with that beer, where before we're like, it was good, but we, we, it felt like it was kind of selling because- like The bitterness was knocked back and a little bit more juiciness added. Exactly. It was so just cloying, just too sweet, too bitter, all at the same time, not juicy enough. And it's called a juicy. And I was just like, what is, what is this? You know? And at that time we were doing international malts. And then since then we switched to hundred percent North Carolina for that beer. And it just didn't taste the same because the malts tasted different. You know, they were mm -hmm. bigger, fuller flavored malts. And it was just kind of like, that's how it was getting too bitter and too sweet at the same time. Cause the malts were sweeter than we were used to. And we we're using the same amount of hops. It just got a little weird. And so we pretty much gutted that over the last eight months. And I, cause I think we did that on like our first, very first one. Yeah. We liked it, but we were like, I feel like it could be better. Yeah. And that's kind of how we felt, you and know? And then every, we come yeah. in and we get it and we're like, it doesn't taste the same. <laughs> yeah, it totally isn't. There, I think we've had three people notice that it changed. I had a lot of that IPA in, around that time, too, because I had it on tap at the house. Yeah, oh, cool. Twice. Yeah. Nice, nice. <laughs> had, we had two kegs of yeah, it, that's right. and I think I was kind of done with it, so I haven't had it since it changed. Well, I'll give you a sample. Also, the Valhalla Shores is really oh, good. That one's new. It's a Norwegian. We used Hornendale Kvik yeast, which is like a Norse yeast. But it comes out, I've never used that yeast before, which is kind of fascinating, still having new ingredients to use. But yeah, it turned out really good. Very stone fruit, apricotty, almost mango-like, and there's no fruit in it at all. So that one turned out really good. But that was probably our newest iteration of learning here, which was fun. But I mean, the brewing community is pretty tight, so we all kind of share our information that we learn from other people, which is nice. And the neat thing about it was it's a ALS beer. They have a ALS for a or ALS for ALS. Yeah, we can check Mountain Dew last time. Exactly. So not only does it help ALS, but apparently one of the integral members at the ALS Greensboro section passed away from it. And his last name was Shores. And so we named it Valhalla Shores because Norwegian Valhalla, and then it sounds cool, like you're approaching, you know, Heaven's Gate almost yeah. kind of thing. So uh, everything kind of came together really nicely. It's good. It's crazy stone fruit. But we didn't get to pick the hops. That's the ALS thing. Yeah. They give you a box of pre-blended hops that the, they're probably last year's hops mm -hmm. that they donate, the hopsters donate to ALS, and then they package them up and send them out to breweries that want to participate. So I think it was like Mosaic Centennial and Citra was this mm -hmm. one, um, I think. But yeah, so we didn't get to pick the hops or the ratios. They're just like, here's your hops. Do whatever you want with it. Make a porter, make an IPA, make anything. And yeah. so this is what we did after smelling their hop blend. So that's why I took them. It would be hard to do. So replicate. Yeah. Exactly. Because we don't know the exact percentages. We know what they are, but not how much they are. Yeah, but that was good. So when we asked about it, we were just told there's percentages reasons. We we're like, well, yeah. we need to get it. Like, we'll pitch in for it. Let's, let's get it again. No, it's it's literally we just don't know the exact numbers of it. So again, kind of sad. This beer will probably never be created again, which is cool, but not. <laughs> and so this is the the juicy. I know you've had it recently, but it's neat. Just kind of, it's also a lighter color, which turned out good. We were finding it was so getting this is the hints. This is, and we were finding it was getting a little. Yeah, it's definitely a different color than it used to be. Too. Yeah, it got real muddy when we switched, oh, yeah. and so we had to kind of assess that and go with it. It is, but it's basically the same. It's like the same flavor, but dialed back to a little bit more of a... It's like a remix. Yeah, a yeah. remix, but it's like for people that won't like IPA. Exactly. And if you do like IPAs, you can probably have more than like one or two instead of kind of like wrecking the palate on that yeah. overly bitterness. Yeah, that, I felt that it was. Would definitely just like crush it every time. 
And I know some people who love that palate wrecking, just ah, oh, and that's not me. But uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'm sure we some people aren't as happy, but it's still the number one seller months after changing it. So we're proud about that. It's pretty yeah. cool. So the one that blew our minds, like the last episode we did unloaded, we the blonde, just the blonde. We drank the blonde, and we we're just like, like, because we drank a lot of IPAs, and we drank that blonde. We're like, this is so enjoyable and smooth, and just like. Just like a chill like beer. Beer flavored beer. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like beer. Well, it got to the point now, anytime we can play here, that's what I drink. Nice. It's because I feel like if I were to get a bunch of hints and allegations, I'd feel it by the end of it. But if I have three or four of the five hours we're here. Exactly. Exactly. I don't feel wrecked by the end of it. I like to feel wrecked. I like to feel wrecked sometimes too. But I would like to not wreck on my 30 minute drive home. Oh, that's, yeah. That's yeah. True. But I mean, I feel like after drinking a bunch of it, it doesn't sit in my stomach funny and it's just, it's so smooth and refreshing. Yeah. And that's another one of our top sellers and one of the original four. So it's nice that some of the flagships are still holding true, which is cool. How yeah. many of the original four are still up there? Obviously, uh, that one. Yeah. Hints in that one. The Curvasude is one of those as well. That might have been four or five, but it's still one of the original setups and the Snappy Response, believe it or not. And that's just a seasonal for us, which we do usually once a year. Okay. Um, but that was one of the, that was the first sour that was actually produced here, was that. Okay. What's up with that shorter days harvesting? What's that all about? It's our take on like a uh, pumpkin beer. I actually grew, uh, hilariously enough, uh, last, must have been November last year, or not this year, but in 2021, uh, somebody smashed a pumpkin in our parking lot. And so I scooped up all the seeds and threw it in one of the beds out back in the beer garden. And I grew the pumpkins for that beer. So oh, they oh, actually, oh, yeah. so, cool. so they actually grew in the beer garden all year, and then uh, we harvested about six of them, you know. And I, I roasted them and you know stick blended them down into a puree, and then diluted that out with runnings of the beer to make it like liquidy, and tossed it in, and then did like super mild star anise, cinnamon, nutmegs, you know, stuff like yeah. that to kind of. But we didn't want to call it a pumpkin beer because everyone hates them. But we didn't want to call it a pumpkin beer, so we called it a harvest ale to make it seem less offensive. <laughs> Because we didn't do the canned pumpkin blending or pumpkin pie. Like, I've actually in homebrew tossed in a whole pie, like crust and whipped cream and all. I'm like, head retention zero now. I just dumped it into the mash and just stirred up with the whole pumpkin. <laughs> so, uh, it was not good. <laughs> but, um, My little brother had a pumpkin beer. I can't remember what it was called now. We have a can of it in Linda's. We but do? It was, uh, yeah, it's one of the ones I got. Really, really good. It's crazy. It's, I don't think it got its fair shake as much as it could have. It's hard to plug that, you know, to be like, hey, try this not style you're used to with something that was grown on premise. Yeah. It sounds I mean, cool, but... Knowing the story behind that is cool. Yeah. I was pretty pleased with it, too, because I didn't tell the owner, so I was doing what. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, they, were, they went to Spain for a couple of weeks on vacation, and that's when I planted it. And so when they came back, it was this huge pumpkin plant. And they're just like, what's this? And I'm like, no, please don't touch it. <laughs> <laughs> and we can do the beer to guard, too, if you'd like. No one's oh, yeah. 7.7. 7. That's a big boy. And that one's actually low for gravity for this style. Really? Uh, traditionally, they're higher, so it's like an 8 and above. Um, but... Because I mean, um, it's a thing called Plato, just like the philosopher. Um, you're measuring densities of liquids. So the more sugar that's involved, the denser it is. And we actually have a thing called a hygrometer. It like floats 
and it measures how much sugar's in there. So if it's thinner, it's gonna fall, and then the, the reading actually reads at like the, the liquid level, and it will drop down. Um, and then you measure it pre-yeast pitching, so you know what your starting, starting gravity is, or original gravity, or OG. And as it consumes, the yeast consumes that and makes alcohol, alcohol is thinner than sugar water, now you can measure how much sugar is left. And then there's mathematic equations that you can be starting to final gravity, or FG, and then whatever's missing has now been converted into alcohol. Okay, because that's one thing we've always talked about trying to figure out. And at this point, it's rather than Googling it. It's yeah. Like, you probably gave a way simpler Yeah, it's, it's very easy. Um, sometimes we're like, I wonder if breweries really get it right. There's a legal buffer, because yeah. you're making a product that's not every time the yeah. same. You're not like Mill and Wood here. You know, you're actually cooking and doing things. Um, you can actually have a plus or minus 0.3%. So we could have actually put that beer to guard as an eight, and that would be legally acceptable, even if they came in and did a scientific test to and see how much alcohol, that's fine. How often does that happen? All the time. Really? All the time. They come in all the time? And... No, they come in never. Oh, but how often do you buffer it? Oh, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Almost every batch. Because, I mean, like... Well, also, it's what's going to seem better to the customer's eye. Yep. That and like with the hints and allegations being six, seven, sometimes the grain yeah, is better <laughs> or worse, you know, depending it might have been a really wet year for that barley. And now that barley isn't as sugar concentrated. So now you have less efficiencies in the brew house. And so that's why they give you that buffer. Same thing if you have a drought, that malt is going to be like way more potent and change, you know, the flavor profile there. You get a little bit of a buffer zone, but 0.3 is like nothing. Yeah. Beer. Yeah. I mean, that's so little. We do have a big guy coming out soon, which is exciting. We have a 12% in the tank right now. We're, I'm kegging that tomorrow, actually. But we did an Imperial Stout and it ended up at 12-0. <laughs> the largest beer I've brewed on a professional scale. So yeah, I'm try it. <laughs> pretty, pretty pleased with that. So that one should be out in about two weeks. But that's been probably seven, eight weeks in the making. I've learned so much just like in this. Yeah, just in this 30 minutes. We all love beer and we're just like, we should learn more about it, you know? It's like learn about how it's made and it's just cool because you can hear like how passionate you are about all this different stuff, but it's all things that I would never think to Google to try to learn, you know? There's so many Reddits online with yeah. every home brewer chiming in that it's... Well, everyone has their own opinions that may not have the correct facts behind it. Exactly. They think they know. But this is North Carolina brand. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's, yeah, it's, it's interesting too, because like, I mean, if I was to like encourage someone to get into say like electrical and you were going to start wiring houses, I would absolutely be like, don't Google your answers because yeah. you're going to get shocked. You're going to hurt yourself. It's going to be oh, yeah. bad. Get 10 different answers that are all different things. Exactly. But if you went to the store like Lowe's or something and then got a lawyer backed credited book that's been copywritten, I mean, his neck is on the line. He can't have anyone get injured under his guise. Yeah. That's a reality. I feel the same thing about brewing. That John Palmer book I was talking about, he's instructor at one of the world's largest brewing colleges. Listen to him over Reddit, maybe, you know? So there's, yeah. you're not gonna die, but you know, you're <laughs> gonna have much better product. <laughs> What's the like, biggest kind of mess up you've ever had? I've had a couple. One, we got like what they would call a stuck mash, where you have so much grain in the mash tun that it seizes up and you can't run the sugar water off. And usually a running off process will take, you know, going from the mash tun where the grain is to the boil kettle where it's just the wort waiting to be boiled and hopped and then cooled. It'll take about an hour to two, traditionally. 
uh, about hour five, we were still were about a third of the way up on the kettle, and we ended up just opening the manway on the mash tun and dumped all the grain on the floor and called it a day and dumped the beer down the drain. So that <laughs> that was awful. Like, what is the cost of like having to like waste a batch of that? Depends on the gravity, because the more sugar, the more malt that was there. That was a big one, because that's why I got stuck, because there was so much grain, it actually compressed and compacted to the point of not running off. Uh, that was over a thousand dollars in grain we just dumped on the floor, like, and that that was just it, you know. Um, I've had other ones where I, when you dry hop, it's in fermenter and actively going and you get on top of a ladder up top and you got this big funnel and you're dumping in hops. But once you add the hops, it's almost like Mentos and soda. It gives a nucleus point and everything kicks off again. So it's kind of like dump in, close, cap, do everything really quickly. And at Pryor, they had a 20 barrel fermenter, which is twice as high as, as these ones. And I was not quick enough. And I ended up getting about a third of that batch, which is probably about like, 200 gallons to the face on top of a ladder trying to close the lid of the tank because it just hit off too hard and uh, wasn't fast enough. So that was also awful. Because <laughs> at that time you're like, how many hops did I just put in ended up on the floor and not in the beer? And you're trying to like figure out how to fix this beer <laughs> while spending no more money because you've already wasted a ton. Um, <laughs> so you know, those are some of the bigger F-ups I've had in my my brewing career <laughs> and barrels too. You know, you can't dictate with barrels. Sometimes a barrel just goes bad yeah. and you're like tasting, you know, uh, prior they did a lot of barrel aging. Um, one of their more popular one was a uh, lemon lime goza that we barrel aged in tequila barrels. And so it came out like a margarita. They called it Margozarita. And one of the barrels on the third round just went bad. And it's just like, you want it to be there. It's a six of your batch and you're just dumping a 50 gallon barrel down the drain. You're like, well, guess we're busting this barrel up because it's garbage. <laughs> so, I mean, it wasn't our fault, but it's still depressing. You know, it still feels like a mess up when you're not getting that. Would you like anything else? You can try the snappy response, the sour pail if you want. Yeah, sours are interesting. We actually um, kettle sour here, which is nice. I've done mash souring, which I would never recommend to anyone because. What's the Uh, exactly that. The mash sour, you, you'll actually pitch bacteria that you want. Like it's an isolated form. Usually it's a lactobacillus of some sort. It's the same culture that makes yogurt. Um, you'll pitch that into your beer and let it sit for a couple days and actually culture and grow and go bad. You know, drops in pH. It's, it smells like vomit. It's awful. Mash one, you'd be doing that with the grains still in it. Kettle, you'd actually run all the, the wort and sugar water off of the the grains, put it in the kettle and then pitch it. Usually you keep it about 95 degrees over the weekend. We usually tend to do that on Friday. So on Monday you can come in and just boil and that way you're not working in a vomity smelling <laughs> brewery for two days waiting for it to finish. So yeah, that would be that. Um, some other places will actually like drop the pH with lactic acid or something like that to try and mimic a souring effect. And then you can do it instantly because you're just pouring it out of a bottle. I think that's kind of cheating. But it's everyone's own choice. You know, it's your own cooking methods. And then the really nice way to do it, the probably proper way to do it would be like the Funkatorium where you're, you're actually souring it after the boil. But the reason they have a Funkatorium is because it can infect your tanks and equipment because you're like literally doing that past the boil state. And that's why they have Wicked Weed and the Funkatorium are completely different buildings because banks won't give you loans if you're making sours in the same building because it could ruin your equipment. And then everything that goes in that forever is a sour beer. 
So we do the pre-boil and that way it'll sour for three days and then we boil it, it kills that bacteria. We add the hops, do the standard boil, and then we can add yeast. And by the time it hits the fermenter, there's no bacteria anymore. We boiled it for an hour. So that's a way to get around the banks and still make sours kind of like traditionally-ish. It's just not as great as it is, but not everyone has a whole nother building to make beer in. Thank you so much for tuning in. I know we learned a lot, and we hope you did too. Who would have known you could drink bread when times get tough? And you better be quick when you mess with them dry hops. (laughs) (laughs) If you have ever checked out Odin Brewing, let us know and tag us with a picture of your beer at Pod on Instagram. And keep your ear out for our new single, Fool's Journey, dropping February 24th that is perfectly paired with our beer collaboration with Little Brother Brewing dropping the same day. Until next time, we're